Well, thank you, uh, worship team. Great songs today. I love that song, Waymaker. I mean, he never stops working, right, Jamie? He never, ever stops working, whether we feel it or not. Absolutely right. Anyone here this week feel like God was doing nothing? Anyone want to raise? I mean, there's been some times this week where I went, okay, well, God, what are you doing? Right? I have. And I think we need to be honest to say, where are you, God? He's big enough for that, right? But here's the good news. There's never a moment when divine love is not at work. And we, we stand on that today. Well, last week, um, my friend, my dear friend, Kim Richardson, who I hiked the Grand Canyon with, actually, we, we hiked in and out in one day, and um, I got to the end of that hike, and I thought, Dr. Kim Richardson, you're trying to kill me. And it was, it was, quite, it was a great experience. Um, then, we, then he wanted to hike five more miles of the next day, and I was, I was like walking like this, you know. And uh, it took a couple days for me to get my muscles back. I'm a cyclist. I'm not a hiker. He's a hiker. He's not a cyclist. He had me in his home territory. And, um, but Kim is a, is a brother beloved. I've known, known him for many years. And last week, um, as we were uh, celebrating our daughter's uh, wedding, uh, he was with us, and he reminded us of this call to not be anxious in a very anxiety-producing world. And I appreciated his honest engagement with that idea when he said, he said, I love and I hate that message. When we hear the Bible say to us, do not worry, do not be anxious, and all that stuff, we, we love that. We say that's so great until we're really anxious. Then we go, wait a minute. <laughs> You know, we struggle with it. And I appreciated his honest engagement with that. But then at the end of his message, he challenged us to be a non-anxious person in an anxious world. In that kind of world, I'm asking myself today, what does the world, what does it mean to be a witness? Um, Let me ask it this way. And this is a question that I'm going to ask throughout this message, and you can keep this question, if you want to write it down, keep this question at the forefront of your mind. What does the world need of the church right now? And when I talk about church, I'm not talking about the institution, I'm not talking about the building, I'm not talking about the sign on the, on the door, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. What does the world need of the church right now? Now, it's been announced, and as you're aware, I begin sabbatical in July. Um, I'm thankful to our church board for granting that space and that time. And I'll talk more about that next week. But as we move into the summer, and as we move toward a post-pandemic world that will be different than it was before, the theme we're going to have through the summer is this, our place in this world. And you're not going to want to miss that. We're going to have several guest speakers that are going to be with us, as well as our local pastors and staff, who are going to help us imagine what our place in the world is. We're going to have a person who's a director of a Christian outreach on the South Shore um, with those who are struggling with addiction. We're going to have a global missions strategist and expert from that person to a longtime pastor and observer of culture who's been a mentor of mine, to a campus ministers and ministries, to a hospice chaplain and a pastoral counselor, 
And we're going to wonder all through the summer what our place in this world is. You're not going to want to miss that. But I ask, is there a more important question for us to ponder in these days? What is our place? Now we're going to begin this series, this um, summer series. Tomorrow is actually the first day of summer. Today is the last day of spring. A very spring-like day at 89 degrees, whatever it's going to be today. Um, But we're going to begin with Jesus. Good place to begin. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And in simple terms, I think Jesus in very simple terms, in, in terms that, that he, he understood who he was speaking to, and he was, bringing, he was bringing the cookies, if you will, down to the lowest shelf. And he does that for us, I think, today. So he tells us that we have a place in the world we live in right now. This is one of those sermons where it's going to be very easy to think about the other person who needs to be something. But today I'd like you to draw a circle around yourself as I'm trying to draw a circle around myself and ask, so what is my place in this world? For many people, the world is an anxious place. It's an unkind place. It is a broken place. It is a shattered place. It is a dark place. Let me remind you of a story I've told you before. In the past, my brother George and I, I love my brother. He's, he, my brother is the best, he's the greatest fisherman in, in the world's history. And when you fish with my brother, it's like humiliating. And you catch one, you go, that's great. He goes, yeah, I'm only on number 10. You know, he's that kind of a guy. And he's just so great, and he loves it. He loves it, and I love fishing with him. Well, in the past, we've gone kayak fishing, and that's our MO. We get on a kayak, and we get out in the seawater, and we go kayak fishing, especially for striped bass. And we've done that off of the coast of Newburyport in what's known as Joppa Flats, and some of you may be familiar with that area. One of the coolest things about doing that, though, especially when we do that in June and July, is we do that in the middle of the night because we follow the, the tides. And typically, the tides for fishing best are like at 1 in the morning. So we sleep at parts during the day. We eat and sleep during the day, like hibernating. And then we come out as night creatures at night. And we get on the kayak in the middle of the night in the pitch black. And one of the coolest things is the gear that we, we wear, Right? So one of the things, if the water is 50 degrees, we wear dry suits to protect us in the event that we fall into the water that's very cold. We want to be protected from hypothermia. We wear paddling gloves, and those are very critical, especially when you're grabbing cold, wet fish. You need to have a grip on these guys, and you want to grab hold of them. And we also wear these very small um, lights on our heads. And on our hats, typically we're wearing baseball-type hats, and we have these lights that are strapped to our hats. And they really don't seem like much. They're really actually pretty tiny. But when you turn them on in the deep darkness of midnight on that water, they seem to light up the world. Well, the passage we're going to look at today, that's kind of the type of light Jesus is talking about. And this is what he says This is the word of the Lord for us today. Why don't you stand with me? You're going to be sitting for a little bit. Let's stand as we honor the word of God together today. 
Matthew chapter 5, you know, verse 14. You are the light of the world. Let me say that again. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And may God richly nurture us, form us, and shape us with his word today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. On the table of a modest Jewish home, there would be placed a stand, typically, of some type. And on that stand would be placed a, a small lamp, which gave very little light. And that's why it was placed on this stand, so that there would be maximum benefit in those modest homes. To understand what Jesus is saying, we need to remember who he is speaking to, as I said earlier. Jesus is primarily speaking to the common folk of his day. He's not really speaking to the power brokers and the influencers, though I'm sure they're probably there. He's speaking to the people who are probably not considered the best and brightest. Probably not considered the movers and the shakers. But he's saying to those people, but what you have is what the world needs more than anything. You have the light. Jesus is saying we are not to be a gargantuan spotlight blinding people with our glow. But a tiny light helping people to navigate the darkness. No one, for my money, has improved on the description of this light than the late Haddon Robinson. He said this, God is looking for people who will be a light bulb in the dark back hall that keeps people from breaking their necks as they go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. <laughs> That's what God's looking for. Not for some spotlight that blows us away, but he's looking, he's looking for that little light in that dark hallway. When you think about the weight of darkness in the world, it does not seem, at least for me, it does not seem like my life makes much of a difference. It really doesn't. I mean, we all conclude at some point, perhaps, I wonder sometimes, I, what really can I do about poverty in the world? What can I do about the need for clean water? I mean, Pastor Shirley and I found our ways in Liberia years ago, and we watched as the water people were drinking, we would never touch. And that's why they were sick all the time. How can I mend the divisiveness in my world? The rancor? The anger? The hate? I mean, I mean can I make a difference with that? I mean, can I heal the racial brokenness? Is it, is it enough just to declare a holiday on June 19th for the end of slavery? I mean, can I celebrate that, but 
I mean, can I really make a difference? I wonder. We need to beware that line of thinking. And here's why. Because if we fall into the idea that our lives really make no big difference in this world, we can walk down, let's just call them three paths. The first path is the path of cynicism and complaint. This is the path where complaint lives. Here's the path where hopelessness flourishes. Down this road, the world is the enemy and survival is the end goal, and it's very easy to be cynical and complain and criticize and judge. Then there's the path of indifference and inaction. That's really kind of closely related to the first path, except this path almost lives in denial of the world around us. And on this path, the goal is to shut out the realities of a broken world and seek to make the best of the world around us. And we create this little idealized vision of Christianity that insulates us from the harsh realities. And then there's the path of frustration and defeat. And this is a well-worn path for many followers of Jesus. Down this path are those who have become frustrated, hoping for and anticipating that maybe they would make a bigger difference in the world or that the church would do better and be better. And when things do not work out as they think they should, they get frustrated and angry and give up. In some ways, if I'm going to be honest, I think I have walked every one of these paths at some time. And they're very easy. It's easy to walk on them. Very easy. And it's easy to find others who will encourage you to walk on that path. Especially the one of complaint. But again, listen to what Jesus says. He has another path for us. I think the message translates this beautifully. Verse 14. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light. Hear it now. Bringing out the God colors in the world. He's always working. Didn't you say that? I thought we sang that. The God colors in the world. We are to bring out the God colors that are already in the world. The God who's already working in the world. Dallas Willard translates it this way. Let your light glow around people in such a way that seeing your good works, they will exalt your Father in heaven. And man, I read that and I ask myself, so is, there, is, is the light of Jesus glowing from my life? Would people look at me and say, there's the glow around you. And it has nothing to do with the lights in my bald head. I'm talking about the, the glow of Jesus in our lives, right? It's not those Jesus is speaking to here. It's not those who have the traits we think make the world go round, that make the real difference. They claim all the difference sometimes, but... Jesus is saying it is those who have and are the light, whoever you are. Whatever place in life you are, whatever your socioeconomic status is, whatever you are and whoever you are. So every act of compassion, every action rooted in self-giving, every attitude of servanthood, every attempt at loving others, every time I share the truth of Jesus with another person, 
reveals the reality of God in this world. But, but here's the beauty of it all. Here's the beauty of it all. That even happens when we do it imperfectly. And I'm the, I am the poster child for imperfectly revealing Jesus to the world. It's Father's Day. I'm going to have my children in my house today. I am sure that they could tell you stories. I will ground them the rest of their life if they do. But I am sure they could tell you stories about how I imperfectly revealed the light of Jesus. But that's not the point, doing it perfectly. Mother Teresa said it so well for us. We can do no great things, only small things with great love. Love that. So maybe part of the challenge for each of us is not to focus on what great things we need to do or can do or can be in the world. The light Jesus is talking about is small, and it's actually, this light is incredibly imperfect and very much so subject to failure in many ways in that world, the light he's referring to. Some would suggest that, that this light he is using as a metaphor is inefficient and insignificant. But here's the one thing about this small, imperfect light. This is the one thing. It is faithful. It is faithful. I, I am grateful for men who are faithful. Can I just say that? I'm looking around this room right now. Men who are faithful. Faithful. Men who've taken their marriage vows seriously. Praise God. We need to praise God and root them on. Amen? Amen. I am grateful for that. Men who faithfully follow Jesus in the business world, in the construction world, in the education world, wherever they go, they don't let the world dictate. They let Jesus guide them. Praise God for that. We need to thank God for them. But you see, this light Jesus is talking about it's faithful, and the Bible places a huge premium on faithfulness. Every single person at the end of their life would want someone to say this, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know that's what Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, I want to hear Jesus say that to me at the end of my life. When, when, when the end of all things are, and I'm there with Jesus eternally, I want him to say, Jeff, well done, good and faithful servant. But you know what I believe? I believe every single person in the world at the end of their life wants someone to say, well done, good and faithful servant. In the obscure little book of 3 John, how many of you have memorized 3 John this last year? Just thought I'd ask, just roll it out there. There's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, three little letters that John wrote. We just preached a series out of 1st John. But those other two, 2nd and 3rd John, check them out. It'll take you about 30 seconds to read them both, probably. But 3rd John, chapter 1 says this. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You know, the last 16 months of our lives, 16 months we never, ever, ever, ever could have imagined, drawn up. But these last 16 months, the church was presented with an opportunity to reveal what loving God and the loving neighbor looks like. So here's a question. How do you think the church, not the institution, but the collective people like me, how do you think the church did? 
how do you think my neighbors, who have nothing to do with church, would answer that question? How did you do? How did I do? You see, I think we may need now more in our world than at any other time, perhaps. What we need is the light of our faithfulness to the way of the love of Jesus. What we need more than any time is faithfulness to God's purposes. To be an expression of the purposes of God in the world because, remember, we we already declared it, we already sang it, we already said he's he's working, he's always working. That means he's working his purposes in this world. So where do I join him? Where Where do I connect with him? How do I get on board with God and what he's doing? What if if being the light of the world does not mean winning thousands to Christ? What if it does not mean leading the charge in the latest cause? What if being the light is not really about ridding the world of evildoers? What if being the light is not about being right or defending my rights? What if being the light is about being faithful in smaller things? What if being the light is about being faithful and demonstrating love behind closed doors? What if it means listening and learning from those who, fear the, have fa- who face the fear of injustice? What if it is being faithful to serving others with our, your, your resources, with my resources, rather than hoarding them and using them just for my own purposes? What if it is being faithful and living out life in the community called the church, not because you like everything about it, but because you choose to love people? By the way, if you, want, if you didn't know this yet, if you've been in the church for a little while, the church is, I think, God's laboratory to teach us how to love. Because if you've noticed, sometimes we're hard to love. In and out of the church. But the church is God's ordained laboratory, I think, where we really learn what it means to love like Jesus so that we can love the world like Jesus. What if, it, what if this faithful little light is about living a self-giving life, placing the needs and interests of others before your own? What if it means being faithful to love your small, remote neighborhood even as you pray for the big, wide world? There are some words in the Bible that I sometimes wish weren't there, depending on how I've behaved that day. And these are some of them. In Philippians chapter 1, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So is my life and choices and actions worthy of the gospel of Christ? I need to ask and answer that you do as well when we think about our place in the world. But check out the text again from Jesus real quick. It's plural in nature, not individualistic. The light is not intended for individual use alone, we read. He said, let your light shine before men, before people. The light is to benefit everyone who comes in contact with it. He said, put it on its stand. Let it give its light to everyone in the house. The best light is made up of many lights. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I think we hear something like, you are the light of the world, Jesus saying that to us, and we think about it individualistically, and we think about what's important is that I be more spiritual, that I need to make sure I'm getting fed, and whatever feeds me is most important, and my projects are more important than others, and about how I want to manage life with God becomes the focus, and that's not what he's talking about. When we think that way, 
we create a small version, a spiritual version of Matthew West's song, My Own Little World. Now, that's in our YouTube playlist, but I would invite you to Google that song, YouTube, Matthew West, My Own Little World. He writes these words. Jeff, hear them. What if there's a bigger picture? What if I'm missing out? What if there's a greater purpose that I could be living right now? I don't want to miss what matters. I want to be reaching out. Show me the greater purpose so I can start living right now outside my own little world. My own little world. When Jesus says you are the light of the world, he connects it to the city on the hill. At the end of last Saturday, at the end of our daughter's wedding, we were outside. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm not so sure I signed up to be cleaning up at 11 o'clock at night, but there we were. And we were packing stuff in the car, and we were standing there, and there was no moon. It was just out in Greenfield, and it was stars were just everywhere. And our granddaughter, Lucia, said, Pops, Pops, look up. Look at the stars. See, that's the idea here. That's the picture here. On some nights, when those stars are reflecting. You know, next to the sun, the moon, they say, is one of the brightest objects in the sky, but the moon has no ability to shine. Zero. It just reflects. It reflects the light of the sun. Now, remember earlier I talked about those different paths we can take the path of indifference, frustration, and cynicism. Well, Paul gives some important instructions, I think, to us when we look at these words from Jesus. He says in Philippians 2, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars, literally luminaries, in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And so the picture here that Paul is giving is, is this idea of, because that word luminaries, it's really, it's like the moon. God's path for us is that we reflect his light in this world and that we do that collectively, that together, together we are stars in the night of the world for people to navigate their way home to God. That they see God in us. We reflect the story of Jesus and his love with our attitudes and our actions and our lifestyles and our words. We reflect the reality of God. And you know, even as I say that, there's people, there's people coming to my mind that just have done that in my life. They've been that glow. So what are we going to do with this? I'm going to ask our worship team if they'd go ahead and come up. The last words of the famous American writer, O. Henry, are what I think the world is saying to us. And maybe you're familiar with them. But it was June 5th, 1910, as he lay dying. And I think this is, this is what the world is saying to you and me when we declare that we are followers of Jesus. He lay on his bed, and these were his last words. Turn up the lights. I don't want to go home in the dark. Turn up the lights, Jeff. Turn up the light of Jesus. I don't want to go home in the dark. So let us not forget our place in this world.
That's what this summer is going to be about. Our place in this world. Next week, we're going to look at Psalm 130. And then we're going to launch our way, continue to launch our way into thinking about our place in this world. The song we're about to sing, I love, I'm so glad Jamie picked Life Song to close this service with. Because there's one favorite part of that chorus when he says, I want to sign your name to the end of this day. I want to sign the name Jesus to the end of each and every one of my days in hopes that I will actually fulfill his words. Let your light so shine before the world that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's our place in this world. Thanks be to God.